So today we're going to be starting a new sermon series. I kind of hinted at this, if you may remember, if you were at the annual meeting a couple nights ago. If you weren't, that's fine. It was just sort of a little bit of a quick snapshot, maybe a little like think of a movie trailer, a little hint at what would be coming uh, today in our, in our sermon. But we're starting a new series uh, on Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippian church. Uh, and this will be a several week series. Today we're going to be in chapter one, specifically verses three through 11. But before we get there, you can turn your Bibles there so you're ready when it comes time to read. But before we even get to our passage for today and start reading, I want to give, uh, as we're starting a series on this book of the Bible, I want to give a little background on Paul's letter to the Philippian church, kind of a little bit big picture, set the context, what's sort of the, the big idea, what is this letter about? Uh, when was it written? All those little details. So for starters, Paul wrote this letter. It is a letter, an epistle. He wrote it, of course, it's called Philippians. So you'd kind of guess he wrote it to the Philippians. And indeed he did, the church at Philippi, the Philippian church there. He wrote it around 61 AD. And at this time, Paul was uh, under house arrest in Rome as he wrote this letter uh, to the church in Philippi. A little bit about uh, Philippi. It was a prosperous city in Rome, a, a Roman colony. Uh, it was heavily populated by retired Roman soldiers uh, who had then acquired Roman citizenship. That's just sort of a little bit about the place, the context. Uh, and so here now, Paul is writing this letter to this, this church in Philippi. Again, a little more of the background. He planted this church. If you're sort of thinking, is this a church that Paul established or is he just writing to them? Uh, it was on his second missionary journey that Paul did visit Philippi. He established the church that was there. So these would be, in a sense, sort of uh, spiritual children of his. He would certainly have sort of a, a pastoral heart for them, and we kind of see that. I'll talk about it a bit, but we see it certainly in chapter 1, verses 3 through 11 uh, as we get there. But you'll see sort of his pastoral heart as he's sort of their spiritual father. These are spiritual children of his. He planted this church. Many who he would have been writing to would have been ones that he would have led to the Lord himself. Um, so he planted this church on his second uh, missionary journey. Uh, a little bit of sort of the reasons for writing this letter, sort of what's it all about? What's Paul's goal here as he writes this letter to the Philippian church? Uh, there's certainly several reasons and, and purposes for the occasion of writing this letter. Uh, one is to thank the Philippian church for a gift that he had received. They had given him a financial gift to support him in, in his ministry as this wonderful, great apostle to the Gentiles. They wanted to support that work. Uh, and so they gave him a financial gift. And Paul is writing this letter in part to say, thank you. I've received this gift. Thank you for supporting me in this way. Uh, he's also writing it to update the Philippian church, those Philippian believers sort of on his circumstances. So even thinking of that, you can kind of think of, you know, today, if you support a missionary and the church supports missionaries, we, we have a lot of people in the church who even on their own support missionaries, you can imagine, right, you're supporting them and then periodically you get some sort of letter back, maybe it's quarterly, however often, and it might sort of look a little bit like this in the sense of thank you for your gift, for, for sort of partnering with us in this ministry. Uh, and then also, hey, let me give you an update on how things are going. And so that's sort of what it is in part, sort of a missionary letter update. Hey, uh, thank you for your gift. But sort of now here's an update on what, what's going on. I'm in chains for the gospel under house arrest here in Rome, but, but God's using it for good. Uh, and, and I'm still able as people come and visit me to share the gospel and build the kingdom, giving an update along those lines as well. But it isn't just that. It isn't just a thank you and, oh, here's a little update in regard to what's going on 
ministry-wise for him and, and, and his circumstances. It's also to encourage and exhort the Philippian believers, uh, to be more specific, to encourage and exhort them to godly Christian living, to sort of live the full Christian life. And part of that, and this is a big theme that we see in Philippians, is rejoicing, just having a joy in the Lord. And that's something, if you read through Philippians, you'll, you'll see it. it. It stands out all over the place as the language of rejoicing and joy. Uh, and that's part of having that joy in the Lord is part of living out the full Christian life. So again, that's just sort of a little bit of, of background around this, surrounding this letter of, of Philippians that Paul writes to the Philippian church. But now I want to get to our specific passage here that we're going to look at today. So if you haven't yet, you can open up your Bibles, Philippians chapter 1. Uh, and we're going to start at verse 3. We'll read through to verse 11. Uh, and I'll sort of pause as I usually do. We'll go through verse by verse, kind of pick it apart, and then draw forth sort of the big idea that we're going to take a look at for our sermon. And as always, of course, we'll apply it to our lives. So starting at verse 3, Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. And I just want to pause here. I kind of already hinted at this, but we're going to see Paul's sort of pastoral shepherding heart, just his love, his heart for these Philippian believers. Again, having in mind, these are sort of like spiritual children of his. So there's sort of an extra special bond and heart for them and his care and concern uh, for them. And so here we get him sort of saying, in effect, this is my paraphrase, but it's sort of like, you know, uh, I'm always thinking of you. I, I remember you guys all the time, my spiritual children, you, you Christians over in Philippi, even though I'm way over here in Rome, I'm, I'm always still thinking of you. And whenever I do, man, I'm just, I'm thanking God for you, right? That's what he says. I thank my God every time I remember you. And he goes on in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. Right again, so that shepherding heart, he's praying for them. He's always thinking of them. He's always thanking God for them. He's keeping them in his prayers, right? And whenever he prays for them, right, he prays with joy. Again, that's a theme that we just see popping up all over the place in Philippians, but just having this great joy in this, this church that he planted, these believers who are following the Lord, right? And he goes on, sort of added reason and cause for this this thanking God for them, right, every time he remembers them, and praying with joy, sort of part of why that's the case. Certainly it's, yeah, because they're fellow believers, they're his spiritual children, but also he goes on, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And again, this is referencing, as I talked about in my little introduction to uh, this letter, this is in reference to the fact that the Philippian church has given this gift, a financial gift to Paul uh, to support him in his ministry while he's there in Rome under house arrest. And so, right, there's just an added appreciation and thanksgiving to God for the church in regard to their support. Here they are, his spiritual children, not forgetting about him, but caring for him, wanting to partner with him in his ministry, bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, right, wanting to support him in that. And so there's just an added thanksgiving to God for them, an added joy in them as they do this, as they partner with him in the gospel. As he says, from the first day, supporting from the get-go, but even until now, continuing to support him as they're able. And then he goes on, verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion 
until the day of Christ Jesus. And so what does he mean here? What he's saying, first of all, this isn't true solely for the Philippian Christians that he is writing to. This is true for all of us, for everyone who's a follower of Christ. What he's saying here is indeed true. He is confident of this, as am I, not just for the Philippian believers, but for you, for me, for everyone who is in Christ. And this is what he's confident of, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Here's what he has in view, right? That, that first of all, as people, these Philippian Christians, they've come to saving faith in Christ, right? And, and through saving faith in Christ, that's how they personally receive it, but, but accomplished through Christ's atoning work on the cross, their sins are paid for, they're forgiven. They're saved. They have everlasting life. They now, with their sin paid for, wiped away, cleansed, they now stand before God as righteous in his sight. They have been declared judicially, legally speaking, righteous in the sight of God. They have been justified. That is sort of the, the good work that has been begun in them. So that's what he's referencing there, justification. But, but it doesn't end there. Often in the evangelical church, we really particularly emphasize justification, 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 and, and rightly so. But we need to remember, it, it's not like the story ends there. It's not like, hey, here's this good work that Christ has done. He's saved you from your sin in the sense of you're no longer under judgment. You're no longer under God's wrath. But now your sin's been paid for. We stand before God as righteous in his sight. That is wondrous. That, that, that's our justification. But it continues past that. Right? That's sort of the start of this good work, but it continues. It continues throughout the rest of our lives as followers of Christ in regard to sanctification. Right, We know, yes, we're justified, but we still struggle with sin in our lives. We still mess up, and it's the work of the Holy Spirit within us to continue to grow us more and more, ever increasingly mold us more and more into the likeness of Christ, to grow us in righteousness of character and conduct ever increasingly. We're not going to be perfect in this life, but then when we die and we go to be with the Lord, we will ultimately be made perfect, truly perfect, just as the Lord Jesus Christ is. We will be uh, fully molded into his likeness at that point. And again, so this is what he has in view. He's begun a good work. You've been justified, but he's continuing it. You're continuing to be sanctified and grow more and more into the likeness of Christ. Ultimately, yeah, you'll die. You'll go to be with the Lord. You'll be made perfect. But even then, ultimately, Christ will come back, right? And he speaks of that here until the day of Christ Jesus. Christ will come back. You'll rise from the dead. You'll receive your imperishable, glorious, uh, new creation body, our resurrected body, right? The new creation will be brought in all its fullness and glory. We will dwell there with God in the fullness of his presence. We'll, we'll rule and reign with Christ over this new creation, right? That, that's sort of our glorification, all that's in store for us in, in eternity, right? And so this is what Paul is saying, saying you've been justified. That's the good work that's been begun, that, that has begun in you but he's continuing to sanctify you and ultimately you will be glorified. He will for sure 100% guaranteed carry it on to completion. It's not like we're just justified, we're no longer under judgment, but that's as far as it goes and things are just gonna keep going on, broken and fallen for an ever and ever. No, he is ever increasingly ridding us, us of the sin that still lingers within us and ultimately we'll be made perfect, new creation will come, everything will be glorious and perfect, we will be there ruling and reigning with Christ, right? And that is all guaranteed. He will carry it all on to completion. For the Philippian believers, that's what he's going to do. For you, for me, for everyone who is in Christ, he hasn't just begun a good work. He has done that, but he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 
So reading on verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you. And feel what way? Well, you know, he's always thinking of them, remembering them, as he says in verse 3. Thanking God for them, right? He's always praying for them and praying with joy, just rejoicing in them, right? It's right for him to sort of have this heart attitude, to have this, this just sort of affection for them and be thinking of them and thanking God and praying for them and rejoicing in them. Why? He goes on. It's right for me to feel that way, this way about all of you since I have you in my heart, right? It's that sort of language of deep love and affection. I just love you so deeply, my spiritual children, my fellow brothers and sisters uh, in Christ. I just have you in my heart. I care so much for you. And then he goes on, for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And, you know, as we read this, it's easy to sort of read this in the sense of all of you sharing God's grace with me. And so our minds might go to, oh, saving grace. Is that what he's speaking of? That is sort of like, hey, I have saving faith in Christ. You do too. We, we all share in, in that, that gracious gift of salvation. It would be easy to read it in that sense. But that's not actually the sense of what he means. When he speaks of all of you share in God's grace with me, God's grace, he's, he's speaking of there, of, of really his calling to ministry, to be this wonderful, great apostle to the Gentiles, to go forth on all of these missionary journeys as he did and, and minister to the Gentiles, share the gospel, uh, build God's kingdom throughout the Roman world to the Gentiles all over the place. He's speaking of that wonderful ministry and calling as, as God's grace, a, a gracious gift. But even as he uh, sort of pursues that calling and lives it out, he faces obstacles. Here he is in, in chains for the gospel. He views that as well as God's grace. That might seem strange to us. We might think, oh, that doesn't feel like a gracious gift so much. But again, from Paul's perspective and, and the perspective we ought to have is he, he views it as a wonderful, gracious gift to have the honor of lovingly suffering for the one who suffered for him. And so he views all of this as God's grace. And he's saying, you're, you're partners with me in this by financially supporting me as you did in the beginning, as you just now have done, right? They, he's just received a financial gift from them to support him in ministry. That's what he's speaking of. He's saying, as you support me in ministry, which is just a gracious gift from God to have this ministry, you're now sort of fellow partners with me in this gracious ministry that God has given to me. And again, that just sort of adds to the sense of, of, of just adds a depth of love and affection and appreciation to them. That's why he holds them so dear in his heart as, as he speaks of here. It is right for me to feel this way about you, uh, a way about all of you, since I have you in my heart for whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. It's like, I have you deeply in my heart because you're my spiritual children, because you're fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, but sort of just to, to take it to the next level too, it's like you're fellow partners with me in this wonderful ministry, this calling that God has given to me, and you're faithful in supporting me. And so there's just sort of an added appreciation and love and affection there is what he's saying here. And then he goes on, verse 8, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Again, you see his heart for them and just sort of this shepherd's heart. I just sort of long to be there with you. I'm here in Rome. He's saying, you're over there in Philippi, but my heart is just uh, desirous of being with you, desiring to be with you. I long for that. And again, with deep affection, with the affection of Christ Jesus. And then he goes on. And this is my prayer. Again, this shows his sort of pastoral heart, his love for them. He just, he wants the best for them. And so he prays for them. This is my prayer for you, the Philippian church, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment 
so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So, so what is he saying here? I'll kind of go through bit by bit. This is his, his heart's desire, his prayer for the Philippian church. And I'd say it's, it, it's his desire and prayer for, for every church everywhere through the ages. It's my desire and prayer for, for myself, for this church, for churches all over the place, right? This is my prayer, he says, that your love may abound more and more, right? He knows that they, they have great love in here, love for God, love for one another, love for, for all people, even those outside of the church. But he wants to see them grow more and more in regard to love, right? This is his prayer, that your love may abound more and more, that you might grow ever increasingly in regard to love. Again, first and foremost, for God, right? That's the priority, that your love may abound more and more for the Lord, but not only just for the Lord, but also for one another within the body of Christ, that you might just grow in love for one another more and more deeply. But again, not only that, also sort of thinking outside of the church that your love may abound more and more, ever increasingly grow for, for people everywhere, all of mankind. But notice, it's not just that your love may abound more and more, but then he goes on and says, with knowledge and all discernment, right? We live in a culture now that sort of says, hey, any sort of love is great. You know, it's a slogan out there, love is love. It can be a boy for a boy or a girl for a girl, right? That's not biblical, but, but our world sort of says, hey, anything that's sort of warm and fuzzy and feels good and loving, that's all great, that's all wonderful. But what does Paul say? He says, this is his prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. It's not just sort of free-floating love without any direction. No, it, it's love, but love that is accompanied by knowledge and all discernment. Knowledge of the Lord, of what is true, what God's commands are, what is right and pure, uh, what the Lord desires of us. Also knowledge of what is evil and impure and filthy, right? Having that knowledge, then in love, love for the Lord most centrally, and, and knowing what he desires, what his commands are, what he says is right and good and true and pure, knowing that and having love for him, then let your love for the Lord drive you to now knowing what is good, to do what is good and right and obey his commands faithfully. That is what is in view there. That's what he's saying. And he does make that clear as he goes on, right? So that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may be able to discern what is best, right? So that you know sort of right from wrong, right? It's not just, hey, have this wonderful love, but you have no idea what's good, what's right, what God expects, you know, you don't know his commands, but no, have this overflowing love for God, but then also with knowledge, knowing what, what, is, what his commands are, and then now being able to discern what is best, what is good, what's right, then go and do it, and be right, and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Uh, so what he has in view here is that right, overflowing in love, growing in love, again most centrally for the Lord, but also for one another and for those outside the church as well. And now knowing what is good, having that knowledge, that discernment, then driven by love, living a life of faithfulness and obedience to the Lord, right, so that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And that isn't to say that we're going to actually live out you know, our lives perfectly in service to the Lord. If you're sort of hearing pure and blameless in that sense of like, without any stain, perfect, that we're not going to reach that in this life. But rather what Paul has in view here is that on the day of the Lord, as we stand before him, right? Not only are we gonna hear, yes, you have saving faith in me, you're forgiven, you're saved, but also 
right? We're also going to hear that you lived, we lived generally in an upright life. That is Paul's desire for these Philippian believers, that they would hear, yes, you have saving faith in me from Christ Jesus saying this to them, but also you lived a life that was generally speaking pure, upright, characterized in a general way by righteousness, right? Not to say perfect. We're not going to live a perfect life. We know that. Rather than hearing, yes, you had saving faith in me, but you know, you didn't really follow me. You didn't really live much of a pure or upright life, right? And there will be believers who hear that. Yeah, they have saving faith in the Lord, but they haven't really matured much in the faith. They haven't really grown a whole lot in Christ-likeness. And yet one day on the day of the Lord, they'll stand before the Lord and yeah, they'll be forgiven. They have saving faith legitimately. They'll be saved. But they'll also sort of hear that they didn't serve all that faithfully. And Paul doesn't want for the Philippian believers to hear that. Again, having that last day in view, what he wants for them is to hear that they have lived faithfully and lived an upright life. That's what's in view here with uh, pure and blameless, right? So again, overflowing with love for the Lord, knowing what's right and wrong, uh, and then in that love, driven by that love, having that appropriate knowledge of God's commands, living out a life, again, generally speaking, characterized by purity and uprightness, uh, so that on that day we hear from the Lord that we have served him well and lived a faithful life. Not a perfect life, but generally faithfully. And then reading on, verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And it's easy here to hear, okay, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So righteousness through Jesus Christ. And our minds sort of go straight to justification. And oh, through Christ, right, we now stand before God as righteous in his sight. And that's true, but that's not the sense of righteousness that he means here. Again, he has in mind here, uh, not, not sort of legal standing of righteousness before God, but rather actual righteousness of character and conduct. And, and so this is what he has in view, that, that this is his desire again and prayer for the Philippian church, that they would be here filled with the fruit of righteousness, meaning the fruit that is righteousness. So that is to be filled with righteousness of, of character, of conduct, the way they're living their lives, what's sort of in their hearts. Uh, that comes through Jesus Christ, right? And this is something that comes through the fact that we are in Christ, right? Since we turn to the Lord and repentant faith, now we receive the Holy Spirit, right? He dwells within us. We've been made into a new creation in him. We have a new heart, new affections, and ever increasingly the Spirit is working within us, uh, growing us more and more into the likeness of Christ, sanctifying us more and more. Right? So this is what's in view, that, that, again, in Christ, through him, it's, it's certainly more directly through the agency of the Holy Spirit, but still at the direction of, of Christ Jesus, uh, and, and by virtue of being in him, that we now have and ought to have this fruit that is righteousness in our lives, that our lives as Christ followers uh, ought to be characterized by, again, generally speaking, not perfectly, but generally uprightness, holiness, purity. And it's his desire that the Philippian Christians would be living that out. And it is, ultimately, as everything is, to the glory and praise of God. So I want to come back to verse 9. There's certainly a lot in this passage, and I want to sort of zero in on, on verse 9, uh, the start of here Paul's prayer for the Philippian believers. And he says, again, I'll read it for us. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. And as I sort of said at the outset of the sermon, I talked about this a little bit at the annual meeting, but again, I just sort of gave a several minute kind of snapshot of it and said, I want to talk about this more on Sunday. Uh, and I want to talk about this, not just with sort of t 
today in view and, oh, we're going to get a sermon with an application. And so this week I'll sort of try to apply it and be good about it, you know, but really having the whole year in view. I want this to be something that we focus on throughout the year. And really, it shouldn't be a matter of just one year, but really a matter of the whole of our lives as, as Christ followers. So as I talk more about this, I want us to have that in view, not just sort of something to do for this week, but something really to focus on all year long and indeed throughout the rest of our lives. And so really my prayer for, for our congregation is the same as Paul's prayer here for the one that he's writing to, the Philippian church. And it's not just sort of me praying this for you. It includes myself as well. It's my prayer for myself and for all of you that our love would abound more and more, just as that's Paul's heart, his, his heart desire for the Philippian church, for the Philippian believers there to abound ever increasingly more and more to grow in love. And as I talked about in love for God, but also in love for one another and love for all others. It's, it's my heart's desire that, that that would be the case for us. That's my prayer to God for us, that we would abound more and more in love, first and foremost for God, then for one another, and also for all people. And I want to talk a little bit more about each of those, love for God, love for one another, love for, for all people, and sort of flesh this out. And, and what does this look like? Of course, of course, first and foremost, we want to talk about love for God. Uh, we need to abound ever increasingly uh, with love for God. And, and I know we're a church that, that is filled with people who love the Lord. I love the Lord. You do. I, I know that that's the case. But that doesn't mean there isn't room for growth in that. There certainly is. And as I think of loving God, I can't help but sort of think of John chapter 14, verse 15. And so I want to read it for us here. It's Jesus speaking, and he says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. Right? Those two things naturally go hand in hand. Right? If we love the Lord then we're going to obey him. We're going to keep his commands. And so as we talk about, you know, what does it look like to love God and to love him more and more, to abound in love for him more and more, uh, this is part of it. It's not just a matter of the heart. As we think of abounding in love, growing in love ever increasingly for God, yes, that is a matter of the heart, but it doesn't stay in our hearts. What is in our hearts naturally comes out and overflows. And so if we really are growing in love for God day after day after day, then we're going to also grow in obedience and service unto the Lord day after day after day. And as we think about growing in love for God, uh, sort of central to this is spending time with God. If we really want to grow in love for him, first and foremost, it's going to be a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? So we need to be in prayer about this, growing in love for God, for one another, for others. It's ultimately going to be the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. And so we need to approach this not in the sense of, I just have to apply myself on it with human effort. If I just do it and, and you know, give all my effort, I, I can accomplish this. But that shouldn't be our mindset, but rather we need to approach it on our knees and just come before the Lord, come before the Holy Spirit and say, I need change on the inside, Holy Spirit. Grow me in love, in love for, for you, God, in love for others, for my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and for all, all people everywhere. We need to do this certainly uh, in prayer. But, but also central to growing in love, as we're talking about here, love for God. Central to it is spending time with him. If we want to grow in love for God, if we want to foster that and foster the working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, in our lives, to grow us in love for God, then we need to spend time with the Lord. We need to be in his word, in scripture regularly, having that quiet time with the Lord. We need to be spending time in prayer just quieting our hearts and just being with God and, and fellowshipping with him. That's hugely important. And as we spend that time with the Lord, 
the Spirit will work and grow us and cultivate more and more within us that greater and greater love for the Lord. And also, as we grow in love for God, we're just going to love being with Him all the more, too. And so it sort of feeds back into itself. We need to spend more time with the Lord so that, that the Holy Spirit can grow us in love for God and, and foster that working of the Spirit within us. But the more we grow in love for God, the more we're going to say, I just want to be with Him. I just love Him so much that, that that's my priority each and every day. I, I just want to carve out that time and be with Him and be alone with Him and just hear from him and talk to him, pray to him and, and be in his word and hear what he has to say to me and just draw near to him. And again, I just want to reiterate as well too, as we think of what does it look like to grow in love for God? It's, it's, it's a matter of the heart, but it will overflow as well. And it's going to look like living out his commands all the more faithfully as well. If we grow in love for God, then we're going to grow in obedience to God as well. But I also want to talk about uh, abounding in love, not just for the Lord and growing in love, abounding more and more in love for God, but also abounding more and more in love for, for one another. And I know we're a church where we love one another. We're, we're pretty close, right? Certainly you can think of other churches uh, where maybe people kind of show up on Sunday. They don't really know one another. Maybe they like wave from a distance, but it's like, this is a good distance. I don't know your name. You don't know mine. And that's great. And we'll just sort of pass, you know, as we enter the service and leave. There are churches like that where there aren't great relationships within the body of Christ. I know that's not us here. We know one another well. We care about one another. Uh, we love one another. But again, that doesn't mean that there isn't room for growth. It doesn't mean we can't grow in this regard. And I think probably if we're, we're honest, right, if we, if we look at the biblical language for, for the church, we see familial language. We see the language of brothers and sisters. That's what we are, brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we're honest, this doesn't mean that this goes for all of us, but if we're honest, we probably operate with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ more like good friends and there might even be a spectrum. Maybe some are like really good friends and some are like decent friends and some like we know, but a little more acquaintances. But, but often I think the way within the church, I'm not saying us specifically, but even just the church sort of capital C, generally, globally speaking, I think all too often we operate as buddies or good friends, but not quite like true brothers and sisters, not, not quite like true family. Uh, there's certainly a strength of tie and bond that you see within family. I know all families are different. You might be thinking like, I'm not on great terms with my brother or my sister. That's fine. Think of a different example, some other close family that you're close with. I realize not everyone's close with family, uh, but family ties are strong. And if you think of sort of love within a family, there's a, a deep love, there's a deep commitment and loyalty. There's a willingness to sacrifice in, in serious and significant ways for one another. And again, I think sometimes we see that in the body of Christ generally, whether here, whether in other churches. But I think oftentimes we sort of say, no, let's sort of like hold one another a little bit at, at a little more of a distance and let's just be good friends where we'll like sacrifice for one another a little bit. We'll sort of be put out a little bit. We'll, we'll love one another a decent amount, but we don't want to quite commit to that level of no, we're family. And that's a strong tie. And hey, whatever you need, I'm there for you. I'll support you no matter what. I'll help you no matter what. We're brothers and sisters. What's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. This is just sort of how family operates. And I think all too often we don't quite get to that level within the church. Again, in our country, globally, all over the place. And so I just want to challenge us to, to really grow in love, not just for God. That's of first importance, but also toward one another. And again, 
Maybe for you, you have great close bonds with others in the church and they're like family to you and that's great. But, but maybe as I'm saying all of this, you're thinking, yeah, that, that's sort of true. I sort of view them as like good friends, but maybe not quite like family. Well then deepen that bond, deepen that love, grow in that love for your fellow brothers and sisters uh, in Christ. And again, if we're gonna do that, it, it's fundamentally gonna be the Holy Spirit's work. So we need to do this on our knees, just regularly day after day, being in prayer and saying, God, I don't love my brothers and sisters enough the way I ought to grow me, grow me in this regard. But now I also want to talk about uh, abounding in love more and more, not just for God, not just within the body of Christ, fellow believers, but also for those on the outside as well. We need to abound uh, more and more and more in love for those outside the church as well. And for some of those outside of the church, maybe it's not too hard to love them and love them decently. It could be family of yours. You could have family and they don't belong to Christ. And because they're family, maybe it's still easy to love them and love them pretty well. Great. Or maybe they're very close friends. And so there's still a significant degree of love. And, and that's, that's great. But I would say for a lot of people sort of on the outside of the church, uh, we're probably all too apathetic toward them. If, if we're honest, that's probably the reality. We may not want to sort of acknowledge that and come to grips with it, but, but it's true. You know, for many out there, it's sort of like, hey, I'm too busy with life. And I realize we can't be involved in the lives of 7 billion plus people, everyone on the face of the earth. But nonetheless, just by virtue of knowing, hey, you're a child, uh, you're, you're created in the image of God, you're made in his image, you're a human being. Just by virtue of, of that fact, I love you and I care for you. Even if sort of they're a nameless or faceless person, you don't know them personally, just knowing you're a human being. You've been made by God, you've been made in his image, and, and so you have value and worth in the sight of God. And so... I love you, even if I don't know you, to have that, that love. I realize we can't be personally engaged in everyone's life. That's a reality. But, but I think we're all too apathetic, whether it's toward neighbors, whether it's toward coworkers. And again, you might have some neighbors that you're close with. That, that's great. You might have some neighbors that you're like, oh, they're the perfect neighbors because I don't really know them. That's sort of like a New England neighbor. I think it's like, you know, you pull into your driveway and you kind of like, don't make eye contact too much, just like a quick wave. And then you pull in, get into your garage. And it's like, great, now I don't know them. They don't know me too much. We're on pleasant terms, but, but we don't engage too much. So nothing will go wrong and it'll be okay. I think oftentimes that's how we operate with regard to neighbors. And there are all sorts of studies that you can do. And it's not just like in the Northeast, we might be worse than down in the South or whatever, but, but there's all sorts of statistics showing that people hardly even know their neighbors or engage in life with them. And I, I'd imagine that probably for most of us, you at least have some neighbors living nearby that that's probably a reality for you're just sort of apathetic toward them. It's not like you wish them ill. It's just sort of like, yeah, I'm just meh toward you. Like, eh, I don't, care too much one way or the other, I'm not filled with this love for you and, and how do I serve you? And I just, I just want to care for you and, and help you, whatever your needs are, that sort of mindset. And again, you can probably think of people uh, in, in the workplace as well. Again, maybe you have some coworkers you're close to, great, but probably there's a long list of people that you could look at and say like, I don't really, if I'm honest, I don't care too much one way or the other. I'm just apathetic toward them. You maybe have a few people on like the other list of like, they're on my bad list, my naughty list. And I don't like them, but maybe use the word like, because it doesn't sound as bad, but maybe you sort of like hate them a little bit if you're honest about it. Um, and again, that, that's not what we ought to look like. We are to be a people filled with love. We're to reflect the, the, uh, just the character of our creator, of our God. He is a loving God and we're to be filled with love as well. We are to abound in love, and that includes love for all people. 
And sort of what, what might this look like? As I know I've sort of gone on and on about you know, coworkers and neighbors and so forth. What, what does this look like in sort of a tangible way to love these people and, and grow in love and abound in love more and more for them? Again, ultimately it does start in the heart and we need to come before the Holy Spirit and say, change me, I need change. The reason I don't love them is because there's something wrong inside of me and change that. Um, but then as we grow in love, as the Spirit works, what is that going to look like as we live it out in our, our daily lives? Certainly, we're going to have a heart for them, affection for them, but then how do we live that out? Well, we're going to be willing to sacrifice of ourselves for others. Maybe you have a coworker, and I'm just throwing out examples, but maybe, you know, they, they want to take a vacation or maybe it's a day off and, and they're looking to switch schedules and switch days. And again, if you're sort of like apathetic toward them and you're like, no, I want that day off. I already picked that day off. I already have it. Uh, you know, I'm just thinking of myself, so I'm not going to switch. But maybe, you know, if you just, you love them and you say, that's okay. You know, you're looking to switch your schedule. I'll do it. I, I care about you. My, my heart goes out to you. You want this day off for some reason. I'll do it. Great. Maybe you have a coworker and they're just sort of falling behind or struggling at work, whatever it is, the work's piling up and you know, it's the end of the day and you're just thinking like, I'd love to get back to family. And that's important and don't neglect family. But maybe on a rare occasion you say, you know what, while, while there's nothing in it for me, why don't I just stay late today and I'll help you. You're falling behind, you're struggling. I, I care about you, I love you, I wanna help out. Or maybe it's a neighbor and, you know, maybe your neighbor's getting a little bit up there in age and it's tough for them to snow blow the driveway and shovel and you just say, I'll do it. You know, that, that's something that I remember as a kid, like we had a neighbor, we had a long driveway, we had it plowed, but you know, it's sort of classic Restucia, like you need things to be perfect and a plow never quite makes it perfect. Uh, that's my mindset. It was also my dad's mindset. So we'd still snow blow it and make sure like all the edges were perfect and whatnot. Um, and then we'd shovel the walks and you know, it was a long walk where you have a walkway and then like a few stairs, then it winds back the other way. And you know, could you have made a longer walkway? Probably not. And we had to shovel that. And then we had a neighbor who had like the exact same setup. And uh, her husband passed away uh, abruptly, heart attack. He was in his 50s. Um, and so we just decided from then on out. And I say we really like my dad decided. And we didn't really have a say in the matter. But it, we would have wanted to do it. And we did want to do it, my brother and I. Um, but it's just sort of like, we're going to clean her driveway. We're going to snowblow. We're going to shovel her walk. Um, and I remember even my dad going around and asking one of the neighbors across the street, hey, do you want to help out too? It'll go quicker. Yep, I'll, I'll join in. And then the other neighbor elsewhere and asking him and his response was, sorry, I have a big driveway too and I don't want to help out, which just blows my mind. You have a lady who's a widow now and it's sort of, sorry, I, I can't help, don't, don't want to. But you see the different, the different perspectives there. One is, I don't care about my neighbor. I have no heart for that person. And the other is, no, we, we want to love our, our neighbor here and care for them. And even if it's just in a small way of whenever it snows, we're going to take care of it. The driveway will be clean. The walks will be clean. You'll be all set. Uh, maybe you have a neighbor who's just sort of lonely, uh, single, and just needs a friend. Maybe it's inviting that person over for coffee, getting to know them, spending time. It can be little things. It doesn't have to be always the grand things. It could be big things. It could be they're struggling to pay bills and you say, hey, I'm in a position to be able and help out. And again, I care about you. I love you. And so let me help with your electric bill or whatever it is. Uh, but that's just what it's going to look like if we're going to love our coworkers, our neighbors, you name it, on and on. Uh, and, and not just be sort of apathetic and sort of, you know, not that I wish you ill, but you're on your own because I'm just looking out for me. That shouldn't be the way we think, but rather 
really loving other people and again, abounding ever increasingly more and more in love, not just for God, though that's of first importance for one another, but again, also for all people everywhere. And so I just want to challenge us. I want this to be a year. We're a people of love. I, I'm not saying by preaching on this, this topic like, oh, Pastor Steve's saying we don't love God and we don't love one another and we don't love other people. No, I, I know we do. When Paul was writing this, he wasn't saying to the Philippians, you guys are terrible at love. That's why I'm talking about this. It was, no, you do love God and you do love others. You love one another. That's great, but, but you can grow in this. And this is my heart's desire, my prayer. I want you to abound more and more in this. And that's the same thing here. I, I know we're, we're doing this and doing it pretty well, but I want us to abound more and more in this love, grow ever increasingly in love for God, for one another, for all people everywhere. Uh, that's just my heart's desire. I want this to be a year of growing in love in every way. Again, we serve a God who is a God of love, and we, as his people, ought to reflect his character and be a people of love. And so I want to challenge us really to live that out, to grow in that. And again, I just want to reiterate, not, not to belabor it, but it's going to be the Holy Spirit working in us. That doesn't mean don't strive and apply yourself. Yes, do that. But no, like, I can't change my heart. I have a problem that's pretty deep. It cuts to the core of who I am. It's a sin problem. And the Holy Spirit's the one who's going to fix that. And so, yes, strive and apply yourself, but do it on your knees, praying and saying, Holy Spirit, I can't do this on my own. Change me on the inside, from the inside out. Transform me. Do it prayerfully. And if we really do this, if we do this and we grow in love for God, for one another, for all people, uh, what's going to be sort of the outflow of that? First and foremost, God's going to be glorified in it, right? That's sort of how this passage even ends. It's what it's ultimately all about, uh, the glory of God. It ends to the glory and praise of God. And God's going to be pleased and glorified as we grow and abound more and more in love for him, for one another, for all people everywhere. Uh, there's also going to be blessing for us. I mean, if we're just faithful to the Lord, he delights in blessing us. But even if you think all of us, think of just use this example. If all of us within this body of believers say, yes, we're going to do this and we're going to love one another better. Well, how much blessing will there be in that for all of us as we love one another, as others are loving us in a greater and greater way? There's going to be so much blessing for each and every one of us. And, and also, whenever we live out love, there's blessing in that. There is a joy and delight that comes from, from loving others. And then also the reality is it, it's a powerful witness for Christ. Uh, you know, and, and that's not to minimize actually using words to share the gospel. We need to use words. We have to actually share the gospel message. But we also need to back that up with living a life that backs up the gospel message and living out our faith uh, faithfully and living out a life of love. And, and so certainly the way we live our lives can do a lot to, to really, in a sense, communicate the gospel message, to be a witness for Christ, to sort of point people to Jesus. Again, ultimately, we do need to use words and share the gospel message, but, but we can do a lot of pointing people to Jesus through how we live our lives and living out a life uh, of love. Yes, there will be people who say, you're one of those Christians. I don't like Christians. Done. End of story. There are people like that. That's a reality. But there'll also be people who say, I, I just see this something different about you and not just you, but like whenever you're with your Christian friends and whatnot, like you're all different and you love one another. And hey, you love me, even though I'm just like your neighbor and you care about me and you love me and you help me. And people will take notice and it will point people to Jesus. And so let's, let's abound in love more and more, ever increasingly, for God's glory, that we might be blessed, but also that we might be a more powerful and greater witness for Christ. Amen. And let's pray.
Lord God, as we, we talk about love, we first want to just thank you for your love for us and what you've done for us in love to rescue us from our sin, dying on a cross, paying for our sin and fault. We thank you for that. Lord, it is our desire to abound more and more in love. And Holy Spirit, we need your help in that. We can't do it on our own. We can't accomplish it on our own. Do that heart surgery deeply within us that we need and grow within us more and more a greater love for you, God, first and foremost, a greater love for one another as the family of faith, and then also a greater love for all people everywhere. And as we do that, may, may you truly be glorified in it. That's our first desire and priority. But then may there also be blessing for us, and may it be a powerful witness that points a lost world to you. And it's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.